have your Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 4, where we'll be in just a few minutes. Did you ever do something or say something, and somebody came to you later and said, hey, you know, you're going to have to explain yourself. You've got to explain what you meant by that, or what you were thinking, or explain what on earth you thought the outcome was going to be. Anybody ever had somebody do that to them? Okay, yes, I have. I've had that happen plenty of times. There's a couple that, that come to mind when, when I was in college. And this was a long time ago. It was when I was a freshman. I was pledging a fraternity, okay? So if you've ever done that, you know there's a lot of stuff you may have to explain, okay? So I'm, I'm pledging this fraternity, and I'm at a Christian university, so it's not even as bad as it could be. But it's enough that some things needed explaining. And so I'm, I'm pledging this, this fraternity. And uh, on our campus, at the back of our campus, was an apartment complex that was uh, assisted living. And it was somehow connected to the campus. I'm not sure exactly. But every now and then we would see the residents there on campus, just kind of walking through or taking a stroll or, or whatever it was. And one lady happened to be strolling across campus. And this was during pledge week. Now, when you are pledging your fraternity or rushing or whatever you call it, there are certain things that, that you might have to do. Our fraternity mascot was the Bulldogs. Okay, we're the Epsilon Phi Upsilon. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Epsilon Phi Upsilon Bulldogs. Okay, now then I'm standing there and I'm talking with, uh, with my older brothers, with, uh, with like the sergeant at arms and with our, we call him the pledge master. He was kind of involved with the, his job was to basically put us through just torture through the week physically as we were going through this, uh, through this process. And all of a sudden there's a, just this sweet little old lady walking through the middle of the campus and she's got her arms loaded with books or bags or something. And all of a sudden, I hear, Pledge Bennett, snap to attention. Go help that lady. And so I'm off, and I am gone like a rocket, sprinting through campus. I'm going to go serve the Lord and help this lady out. I'm going to carry all of her stuff. And so I get up there, and I say, my name's Jason. I want to help you out. And, oh, you're so sweet. It's like she knew. You know, sweet, pinching my cheeks and all this. And I'm carrying her stuff, and we're talking, you know, exchanging niceties and whatnot. And then something happened. Now, I mentioned that we're the Bulldogs, right? At any given time, if you heard a certain sound and you were pledging Epsilon Phi Upsilon, you hear a whistle break free on the campus, you had to stop whatever it was you were doing and go and find a bush or a tree, or a car, get down on all fours, and act like you were marking your territory. Oh yeah, that's true. So here I am doing my Christian duty, helping this lady out when a shrill whistle breaks loose across the campus. And I just remember stopping, saying I'll be right back. And I went, and I did it, and I came back, and she looked at me like, what are you doing? 
And so I tried to explain it. She's like, I, I think I got it from here. I'll see you later. <laughs> she carried it the rest of the way. Now then, they would also do strange things to you physically, okay? Like cut your hair, okay? Remember how, you, like, sometimes when we have the TU students come in when we fed them, and they have these most ridiculous haircuts, right? Well, they could do that back then. Now, you know, apparently they can still get away with it. But my older brothers in the club, they took my hair and they shaved everything off except one big X right on top of my head. And I had to go to class this way for the entire week. And I'll never forget one of my Bible professors pulling me aside saying, Son, you're going to have to explain yourself here. What's going on? And I told him what was happening. He just put his hand on my shoulder and says, I think you're going to... Uh, you might need to rethink some of your life choices right there with that. But I had to explain what it was that I was doing. Now, then, there's been a host of other times where I've done something, where I've said something, where I've been somewhere, and somebody said to me, you've got to explain what's going on here. You have to explain what you're thinking. Have you ever been there before? Has anybody ever said that to you before? You've just got to explain to me what's going on and what's in your head that made you think this was a good idea. Well, that's kind of what is going on in Acts chapter 4 today. If you'll remember from last week, Peter and John went to the temple, and while they're on their way there, there is a man who is crippled from birth. He's never taken a step in his life. He's begging for money, and they give him something better than money. They heal him. And you remember his reaction? He jumped up. He praised God, he was living out Psalm 150 as he is giving praise to God and everything else that's going on and it stirred up this, this huge commotion. The people are stopping and looking at what's going on and then Peter takes that opportunity to preach. Do you remember that? And he says, hey look, this is done through the power of Jesus. In the power of Jesus, get up, be healed, walk, and he does. And so the power of Jesus is on full display in front of all of Jerusalem. And Peter has another opportunity to preach to all these people. Well, as you get into Acts chapter 4, it's not another story. It's a continuation of the same day. Really, this chapter break shouldn't be here, okay? Because when you got in chapter 4, it's just a continuation of what's going on in the story. And what we're going to see is we've got people saying, hey, look, explain yourself explain what it is that you are doing and and why you are are doing it well last week we did the choose your own adventure well this week is going to be a little similar to that we're not going to choose it and kind of trek it through the story so much this week but today what I want you to do is I want you to pick one of these characters that are in the story you have the apostles Peter and John so pick one of them you have the Sadducees, and then you have the, the chief priests. So right now, in fact, if you're at a table that has less than three, you might want to join up with that back table right there. Make sure you've got at least three people at your table. Looks like everybody does. Now, pick one of these characters and make sure at least one of them is represented at your table. Go ahead and do that now. All right, has everybody got one? Give me a thumbs up if everybody's got a character. And you got one of each at your table. At least one of each. Good. More is fine. Just make sure you have one of each. And we're going to discuss this in, uh, in, in just a few minutes. Good. 
Very good. Very good. All right. Well, let's begin, uh, let's begin reading together in Acts chapter 4. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number came to about 5,000. So this is what's happening. Peter is preaching. He's telling the story. All of these people are there. And 5,000 more people, or up to 5,000, give their life to Jesus. They do what we talked about last week. They repent. They turn. They give their life to Jesus. This church is just, just growing exponentially by, by leaps and bounds. Every time the message is preached. And then you have the, the religious police show up. You have the Sadducees. If you chose Sadducee, raise your hand. Okay, this is you. Now then, this is, this is a little bit tricky because the Sadducees, who's, who's a, who is the uh, chief priests? Who are our chief priests in the room? Okay, guess what? Technically, you're a Sadducee too. Okay, you're just a more important Sadducee than the other Sadducees at your table. Okay? But you have the, 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 the church police show up Okay, you have these Sadducees there, uh, and, and, and they kind of see what's going on there. Now, remember, you've got three different kind of groups that are sort of make up the, uh, the religious leaders. You have scribes who, their job is to interpret the law, and I don't mean like stop and go and, and you, know, you know, don't speed, stuff like that. I'm talking about the law of Moses. Their job is to interpret the Old Testament to, to any of those who, who need an interpretation. You have the, the Pharisees, which is kind of the largest group. They're very conservative, and they uh, have a very strict obedience to the law. And then you have the Sadducees, okay? And the Sadducees is a, a smaller religious group. They're, they're more political. They're much more liberal, and they are the ruling body. Now, it used to kind of rotate uh, who, would, who would have the high priest, the Pharisees one time, and then the Sadducees, but... Rome said, hey, we like the Sadducees better. We're going to let the Sadducees be the, the ruling body here. Okay, now then, the deal with the Sadducees is they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, right? And that's what? That's just so sad, you see, that you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. You want to know what they think? That's what you think. They don't believe in the resurrection. That's it with me. That's just so sad, you see, that they don't believe in the resurrection, okay? So all of you who are Sadducees in here this morning, bad choice. Bad choice. No, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. But the Sadducees see Peter and John, and they're mad at what's going on. So what do they do? Arrest them. Because that seems like the thing to do, right? Arrest them. Put them in jail. Now then, watch what happens. Here comes our, here comes our next, our, our final character on scene. Verse 5. The next day, their rulers, elders, scribes, assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest. Now, who's our high priest again? 
Okay, there, you're the high priest. This is you. You're on scene now. Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. Then notice verse 7. By what power or in what name have you done this? This is going all the way to the top. And they've got Peter and John standing in front of them, in front of the Sanhedrin. This is the religious ruling body, like the religious court. Okay? If you end up before them, you've done something pretty bad. Okay? And Peter and John are standing there in front of them all, and Caiaphas, or Annas the high priest, says, What are you doing? By what name or in what power have you done this? An incredible miracle has been done. A man who has never taken one step in his entire life until right now is up and walking around. And he's giving praise to God for what he is doing. And, and here's what really gets them in trouble, the people are also praising God for what he has done, right? And that's what really gets them in the hot water. People are turning to God and turning to Jesus in droves. And the religious leaders are not happy. And they want to know how this has happened. And so what they say with this is you've got to give us an explanation. You have to explain to us what you're doing and by what name and what power and oh by the way, whose authority are you doing this in? Because we're the authority. We're the boss. We're in charge. You need to do things our way. We want to know why you are doing this. So please explain yourself. That's what they want to know. So now, what we want to do for the next about four minutes, sit around your table, and I want you to answer this question. If you're an apostle, if you're a Sadducee, if you're the chief priest, Give everybody a chance to go around the table and answer this question. What was the most important thing to your character in the story so far? What's the most important thing and then why? So go ahead, take the next four minutes and answer that question. All right. All right, go ahead and be wrapping up your conversation at the tables. Uh, this, uh, let, let me just say this as you're, you're kind of landing the plane on your discussion. This has been one of the coolest things for me over the last few weeks as we've sat around the table and we've had community and, and communion together and we get to look at each other's faces and have conversation and discuss why this stuff's important. I think that's been really, really cool. So, now then. Okay, so you've had four minutes to explain yourself why you believed so passionately about something what was it you were passionate about what was the most important to you in the story so far and why do you believe it so i want to just like we did last sunday just raise your hand uh and and tell us so let's let's have some apostles raise their hand tell us why this was so important yep and wait till we get a mic to you and speak into it well it was really important to me because the apostles were trying to lead the people to Jesus for salvation. Yes. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. 
and others were hindering them. Sure, absolutely. Thank you, Betty. Very good. Let's hear from another apostle. I think we got some over at that table over there. Huh? All right, another apostle then. We got they got abstaining apostles at this table. Oh wait, get a mic, get a mic, so we can hear you. So it's on the recording, so everybody else hears you. Okay. Um, I feel that um, the apostles part was basically like Betty said to help teach um, about Jesus and to um, tell people that Jesus did come that. He died for us, and he died for them. Right. Right. Very good. And why? Because he loved them. That's right. Very good. Very good. All right, let's get some uh, Sadducees. Sadducees right back here. Brenda, tell us what's most important to your character in the story and why. Yes, I'm so sad, you see. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, as a religious leader, I am very, very, very concerned about all these people are being misled, okay? There are some people that are coming in that somehow this man was healed. I'm not sure that he was really lame at the time or he was just faking and getting money, but he's talking about God, you know? And we here in the church are very, very concerned because we don't want these people to leave God. Very good. Thank you. Great. Great. What else? Another Sadducee. Any other Sadducees? Yeah, I also kind of wonder if where they get their power from is the devil helping them do this. You know, maybe they're trying to lead these people on. And um, as my, my buddy, the high priest over here, um, <laughs> if there truly is some sort of great divine power behind what they've got, sure. that sort of threatens our power and ability uh, to um, to control yes very good the folks within our um, local congregation excellent here. excellent all right high priest who are our high priests let's hear from a high priest there's one right there she stole my thunder <laughs> <laughs> and she shouldn't because I'm the boss that's true you are <laughs> I mean, I'm the high priest. Uh, no, uh, yeah, again, I, I'm truly convinced that the apostles and, and this Christ uh, deal was a blasphemer against God. I mean, this this is just not right, and it destroys. It's it's going to destroy my Jewish community, right. uh, and this is not good. And it is my job to usurp my authority, my leadership, and, and the law as I know it. And get, these, get these guys to understand what they're doing, but figure out how to get them back in line. Yes, absolutely. Very good. Very good. Any other high priests? Oh, we got a high priest right over here. I got him. I was a high priest at our table, and I was just amazed at how... God used the high priest to ask the perfect question that gave oh, Peter and John an opportunity to 
do the same thing to them as he did to the 5,000. Yes. Very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Thank you for your uh, discussion and your comment. And again, it's always great to do something like this in community because you do something. This is communal discernment of the text. You know, this is what we're doing. This is what God has laid on you as you've thought through the text and what it, what it might be. And so I really appreciate that. I've really, that's, that's one of the reasons that I've really enjoyed this. Really, really enjoyed this process so much. Yeah, you, you, you have these apostles, and the thing that's most important to them is preaching Jesus, right? You have the Sadducees, and the most important thing for them is stopping them from preaching Jesus resurrected from the dead. And you have the chief priest by saying, whose power are you doing this? You have to explain yourself. Okay, because if you are in power, what is your number one job if you're in power? Maintaining power, right? Maintaining power. And then all of a sudden, here's this upstart group. And it's more than upstart now. I mean, it's a movement now. And people are just flocking to it. And these guys are looking around saying, wait a minute, what is, what's going on here? Something else is happening. Well, let's, let's, let's read about what happened. Peter preaches the message to him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, look, if we're being examined today by a good deed done to a crippled man, you need to know it's done through the power and through the name of Jesus who you rejected. He's the stone rejected by you builders, and he has become the cornerstone, our namesake. He is the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else except Jesus. Now then, watch verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's something different about these guys. Something that, that hasn't been there before. And it's that their lives are completely altered by Jesus. These guys, are, are, are there, there's two things that describe these guys. What are they? The first one is what? They're what? They're uneducated. What's the other one? They're untrained. They're ordinary. There's nothing special about these guys except for one thing. And it's what? They've been with Jesus and that right there they had been with Jesus that's what made all the difference does that make sense that's what makes all the difference you see and that's true for us too what makes a difference in our lives is not our ability you know it's not our schooling it's not our training it's whether or not we've been with Jesus or not. Have we been spending time with Jesus? As we think about becoming a, a Christ-centered community and expanding the love of Christ into our communities, it's not so much about training and, and skill and knowledge. The most important thing is have we been spending time with Jesus ourselves? Because what I've noticed, and what you've probably noticed too, is that when you spend time with Jesus, 
our lives become altered too. Have you noticed that? The Holy Spirit comes to reside in us, in our baptism. Becomes kind of that, that controlling agent when we allow Him to, and He transforms us deeper and deeper into the, into the image of Jesus. Verse 14 says, And since they saw the man who was healed standing there with him, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so it doesn't spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The religious leaders, they have no explanation. They have no explanation, no good explanation for what they've seen. The man was healed, that was obvious, but what is not obvious to them is by what power. They are so blinded by their own arrogance, by their own lust for power, that they have failed to recognize the true power that is found in Christ Jesus. They have failed to see the power of Christ at work in this man's life, in the life of the apostles, in the life of the 5,000 that are standing there. And so the only thing they know to do is threaten them. Because when power is challenged, a lot of times what comes down is threats. Especially if it is not godly power. If it's not a power that recognizes that Jesus is Lord. And these guys definitely do not, so they threaten them. They call them back in. We don't know what to do with you, so don't speak in the name of Jesus. Don't teach in the name of Jesus. But look at verse 19. Peter and John answered them, Whatever is right in the sight of God, for us to listen, whether it's right in the sight of God, for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. And yet these religious leaders, the Sadducees, the chief priests, they've seen a miracle. They have acknowledged that this miracle has happened. Peter and John have been very clear saying, hey, we didn't do this, it's not our power. It's by the power of Jesus. The guy is saying it's by the power of Jesus. The people are praising God and yet they still refuse. And all they know to do is arrest them and threaten them. But that's not going to be the end of it. It's going to get amped up. It's going to get amped up even more as we, as we move through the story. And so they release Peter and John. You know what they do? They run and hide, right? They go back to, it says, their people. They go back to their 
community. They tell them what happens, and the people cower in fear, right? No, they begin praying together. They begin praying to God. Look at verse 27. This is the middle of the prayer. But it says, For in fact, in this, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And then notice verse 29 right here. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word. With all boldness. They go back to their community and pray. Their response in the face of threats is not fear. It's praise. And they pray for boldness. And prayers for boldness replace the natural response of fear. Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God boldly. As we seek to reach into our surrounding community, it's easy to let fear take over, is it not? It's easy to let fear take over with our co-workers or with a neighbor or a friend or, or a family member. You ever tried to share Jesus with a family member that was not really into that? That's scary, can it not be? This passage right here shows us how to handle that. That we have to rely on one another that we rely on a community, that we gather together, that we pray. Have you ever noticed that we don't do a whole lot of praying for boldness? I mean, we pray for healing. We pray for blessing and, and good things to happen. But have you ever noticed we don't do a whole lot of praying for boldness? I think we need to do more of that. Not, not boldness as in, where you're overwhelming somebody and you become obnoxious. But boldness that says, I'm going to trust God with this and I'm going to share my life and share my faith and you might not really care about that, but this is who I am and this is why I, I live that way. As we seek to, to reach into our surrounding community, we must not fear. Just like the song says, whom shall I fear? If God goes before us, there's nothing we have to worry about. We have the greatest news in the whole world is that Jesus saves. And so we must pray for boldness. We must pray for filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. Have you, since we began praying together for Pray 21, have you noticed a difference in your life? Have you noticed that maybe you're a little more conscious, conscientious of things? That maybe you're reacting a little bit differently? Because I've noticed that in mine. Because prayer does make a difference. 
It helps to calm us. It can help to empower us. It can help us to give us the, the, the strength and the inner peace that, that we need. It can bring about spiritual healing in our lives. And so as we, we think about these things, as we think about what it means to become a, a Christ-centered community, we need to be ready and willing to explain ourselves. That requires a fair amount of boldness, does it not? That requires that we trust in God. That requires that we allow the Holy Spirit to manifest fruits within our lives and that we believe in the mighty and saving power of Jesus Christ. Is it not? And so what I've termed our point for the, the rest of the series or the rest of the year, the rest of this theme is our community connection. Which means this is what we need to do. This is sort of the bottom line of everything we've talked about in order to make a connection in the community that gathers here and the community that gathers out there. Our community connection for this week is simply this. Live such a transformed life that you have to explain yourself. You understand what I mean by that? Be so renewed by Jesus and transformed by Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the love of God that you have to explain why it is the way you are. So that you have to explain why you don't do certain things. Explain why you don't cheat or lie or cuss or why you don't gossip or, or listen to gossip. Explain why you don't take bribes and that you are, aren't willing to accept corruption. Why you won't participate in, in prejudice and, and, and injustice. Explain why you don't do those things. But also, explain why you sacrifice your time to serve others. Why you, you give of your money. Why you, you serve your community. Explain why you love those who are unlovable because everybody knows there is always somebody who's tough to love. Right? Right? If you don't know that person, you might be that person. I'm just saying. Okay? I mean, I'm just saying. I recognize that I could be that person. Okay? I recognize that. Thanks for loving me. Explain why it is you forgive somebody. Because that's a tough one, is it not? And sometimes, have you ever noticed, too, that while you might be willing to forgive, other people are not as accepting as your willingness to forgive somebody else. And they want to know, why would you forgive somebody for that? It's because you're living such a transformed life that you recognize there's something bigger going on than holding a grudge that you really can't do anything about. You're transformed through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And you, your life is so transformed that you now have to explain why it is you are, are, are like that. Explain why you stand up against injustice. Explain why you cancel debts and why you love your neighbors as you love yourself. Because you're part of a Christ-centered community. You see, I'm not of the opinion 
that in order to tell people about Jesus, you've got to stand on a street corner and shout. Or even talk. Now you can do that, and if that's what God has called you to, then go with God and do that. But I'm not convinced that's the only way to do that. I am more convinced that if we will model our lives after Jesus, people will naturally ask us questions. And I think that's more organic. Okay? Peter and John, just like what Tommy pointed out as the chief priest, they asked the perfect question. What's going on here? Explain why it is you're doing this. And they did. And I think if we will learn to to listen pastorally, theologically, Christ-centeredly, we'll realize that people are asking us to explain ourselves all the time. We just have to have the boldness to step forward and say, this is why. I pray that we will live such transformed lives through the power of Jesus Christ that we have to explain what it is we do and why it is we do. Let's pray together.